What stands out in your memory from last week? You remember that, that day that was called Wednesday, but it was like seven days earlier than today? Those of you who are here, anything that you took away with, I just want to hear it. I always, I'm used to doing this when I teach because I don't guarantee that anything happens in between the time I last saw them and the time I see them next that's going to make that come back. So I have to kind of like jumpstart. So here we are. All right, anybody who was here, anything you remember from what was spoken of last week at all? David was depressed, okay? I would say that's a fair description. We looked at some of his uh, psalms and his writings. Oh God, oh God, why have you forsaken me? Okay. So he's, and, and David is a hero of our faith. What else? What else do you recall if you were here? Anything? Anything that keeps us from talking about mental health issues in the church communities? Don't be shy. I always count to five to ten, ten before I go on and help. One, two, three. All right, I don't hear anybody. Nobody's running up here, so I guess I'll have to help you guys out. We did have some things to be accomplished. One of the things that, as Wayne mentioned about, that I had brought into play was describing some of the heroes and characters of faith in Old Testament and New Testament whose lives exhibit the potential for having being described as having a mental struggle. Okay, I mentioned, we mentioned David, mentioned Ezekiel, mentioned uh, Paul, mentioned, um, I didn't even mention Job, Jeremiah, yeah, Jeremiah the weeping prophet. He was not weeping just because it hurt. He was weeping because it hurt. So, and, and, and even the Lord himself. Um, again, I want to make that real clear. I'm not saying that the Lord was a victim of what we would call depression and anxiety in the sense of his godliness, but he was fully man and fully God. So in his manhood, we look to him because he has experienced, he came to experience what we as men and women have experienced, will experience. So the message over that is, to me, is that as Christians, we will experience life issues not unlike those of our biblical heroes. Okay? Now, why do I think that's important to talk about? Well, I can tell you a couple. One is I want these three things to happen. I want you to be understanding things better from the perspective of a professional mental health kind of view. And I can say that, as, and those of you here for the first time, I'm a licensed psychologist in the state of Florida. I have practiced um, for over 27 years in a counseling practice, many of which in both secular church and in private settings. The last 13 years I've been teaching in the graduate master's degree program in counseling at Southeastern University, training up good people, one of which you will meet shortly. So, supposedly that means I know some stuff, and I think it does. 
And so I hope that you will take it from, I want to share with you so much stuff. I don't know, like, like it's hard to like compact all this. Because I want my brothers and sisters to have the best understanding they can for themselves and for the others in their lives. Because we will all go through things that we would call mental struggles, mental health, mental illness issues. It is so. You remember that scripture that the Lord says, in this world you will have trouble? He said that. I think mental health is one of those trouble places that he said we would have. Now, it's not fatal, and we're not done, but it does mean that we're going to have consequences. God did not create us to suffer, to die, to be sick, or to have sickness in terms of mental difficulties either. He didn't create us for that. But the fall happened. That being the case, we have to understand that we are subject to the consequences of the fall, and we are subject to our humanity as it is now, not our redeemed spiritual humanity. Our human sense in this world is going to run into stuff. And this world is a messy place. Have anybody noticed that? Stuff happens. I mean, it does. That stuff wasn't supposed to happen maybe either, but it does. People die. People lose loved ones. People have, are oppressed, abused, etc. That's going to happen, not because God caused it to be, but he allows our choices. We are now redeemed spiritually, but we have, there are consequences to the fact that the fall happened and that we are human. All right, that's, that's the overview. I think it's important. These are the words I was looking for, for shame and stigma. Those are two things that get in the way of us being able to talk with each other about real things that happen to us because we don't want to be associated with something that's not seen as okay. Okay, that's... We just don't. And over time, we have gotten impressions in our world that it's not okay to have struggles. It's not okay to have depression, have anxiety, to have worry, to have sleep problems. Any, that, that's not okay, so we can't admit that, right? We put on our little masks on Sunday. How are you? I'm fine. Now, I'm not saying we are doomed in that, and we always have to say, when they said, when they, if I asked you to, today, how are you? I'm not saying, well, man, I'm really depressed. Let me tell you about it. No, I'm, that's not what I'm talking about either. But we need to be able to have places and people that are safe so we can talk about these things. All right. And here's the last one. I'm hoping that th- this will be a place that will start allowing from this community as a, as a place for us to have a chance to be of support to one another to be alongside one another as we go through difficult times, as we experience hurt, as we experience mental health concerns. How do we do that? We're called to be compassionate. We're called to be alongside. We've got to learn how to be alongside in, in, in these kinds of things as well. So the more we can understand that process, the better. Okay, so that's, that's where we've been going. 
last week. Now you can jump on the train for this, this week two. Okay. Um, I think it's interesting that the images that we have in our culture about mental health, um, I, I kid you not, I don't know anybody who reads the comics but me, but if you, if you have, take the ledger or you read the ledger, Saturday, these two cartoons were side by side. And if you, I hope you can see them, but what two, two couch-related things. Who uses a couch? People think that, that mental health practitioners have this place you lay down in your office and then they sit behind you and you never see them and they tell you weird things. Or they find out the weird things that you need to tell them. This is an image. Ever since I left the circus, I had a reaction when I see coconut cream. Sounds like a classic case of PI-TSD. Mm. We can laugh. There's a part of that, though, that's kind of sad because PTSD is a real thing. And it is a serious circumstance situation and happens in people's lives. Obviously, the clown and everything. And the other one, I'm not even sure where he's going with that. Have you tried a hot bath to relieve stress? Maybe with some peas and carrots, the bird laying on the couch, and he's a cat. Well, that, we'll just leave that. I'll let you figure out if that's funny or not. But they were in the paper together the same day. So culturally, there are some things about that. Now, historically, in the Western world, in terms of understanding mental health, there are some kind of real strange ideas and ways of handling it. Let me show you a couple of pictures, hopefully, that will help you see that. Look at that one. Straight jacket, old style, laced up by hand. Straight jacket. Why did people need? Well, we had to restrain people from being hurt, and we, so we had to tie them up so they couldn't hurt themselves or hurt anybody else. Now, I'm not going to tell you that straight jackets are not used at all. But they are not the most common thing that we rely on relative to dealing with some of these issues. Let's look at another one. Oh, yeah, that's right. When, the, when people with mental health issues behave badly, we've got to beat it out of them. So we've got to correct their behavior by doing something to them. So you see the guy with this little, this person apparently did something wrong and bad and un-okay, un, un and that was the case. And the third one is kind of like my least favorite. How would you like to be calmed down by being put in one of those boxes because you were having mental health issues? Put you in that little thing and lie, lie you down, keep you quiet. So we have some history of not understanding mental health to start with besides the current culture in which words have seeped into our society and people don't know what they mean anymore. Okay? I mentioned uh, um, this book last week. I actually brought a copy so you could see it's real. The DSM-5, Diagnostic Manual of Mental Disorders. Okay, it is a commonly used by practitioners who are professionals in mental health as a tool to describe and to learn about what certain sets of characteristics mean based on information that we have studied over time. All, all of the mental health practitioners have researched, um, have put things together in categories. 
I, last week, I facetiously but semi-seriously called it the J.C. Penney catalog of mental health, um, where you, if you go to men's wear, you're going to find that stuff. You go to anxiety, you're going to find that stuff. And literally, if I believe everyone in this room could take this off the shelf at your public library where it will be and find yourself somewhere in there. What does that mean? Nothing. Nothing. Because this is sets of characteristics. So they call them criteria. So what, what do they mean? That's the important part. What does that stuff mean? So is it useful? I believe it can be. It has to be used well. It's not just to throw a name at somebody. I don't call you that you have... Uh, syndrome, and then you go, oh my gosh. But not, first of all, there is none, but, but if there was one, I would not say that that's useful information just to throw a name at it because it's, it's just words. What does that mean? What does it mean to you? What does it mean to your family? So when we talk about diagnosis and understanding we want useful things to come about to ex explain and work with so that a person is able to work on being better than whatever it is that they're dealing with okay but that takes some experience and practice and use and uh, study to get that level of understanding. But it also takes some explaining from the people who do do the studying. So one, I'll, I'll, I'll leave this little thought for you. Um, if you ever get a description of a health or a mental health and they use a term and you don't understand it, ask. What does that mean? What is it supposed to say? If you call me bipolar 2, okay, so what is bipolar 2? What does that, how does that look? What is it supposed to be? How would, how, do other people have it? Does it, is it, is it like physical? Is it, is it, is it psychological? What is it? I'm a bad patient. I always ask too many questions to the doctor. Give me a medicine. Take this five, once a day for the next five days. What's it for? Well, it's to control blah, 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 blah. When am I going to know if it's working? Well, you will notice a change in such. Okay. Uh, are there any side effects? Inquiring minds want to know. I think we should, we, I, I believe we should take responsibility for our health and mental health and know what we're being given to take and put it and know what we're asked to do and why how often does it work these are all reasonable questions if you were going to buy a uh, let me see let me see how many of you ever bought a large purchased appliance or something recently i think you've done that sam what did you buy a car did you do some homework uh-oh. 
Did somebody give you the car? No. Would you wish you had done homework now that your car is broken? Okay, no. <laughs> I think in many times we do research on what we're going to buy, purchase, get, own. When we, when we go to look at buying a house, oh my gosh, shouldn't we have inspections and check out the plumbing and what is it? Is it copper plumbing? Is it this and that and that, whatever? Who's the builder? How, what, what's their reputation? Healthcare and mental health care is not any different. We should be able to ask those questions. You're, you're paying that doctor. <laughs> Don't tell him this, I said this, but he works for you. You pay his salary. It's true. It's true. Okay, um, enough with that. Um, I'll, I'll stop being the bad patient, but anyway. All right, so if we've got these images of mental health and mental illness and all that, Let's see, what do the experts in the DSM-5, what do they say a mental disorder is? So, because that's, it's the manual of mental disorders. So let's see what the description says and work from that. Okay. Hello. There you go. A syndrome characterized by clinically, clinically significant disturbance in an individual's cognition, that's all the mental processing things, thinking, memory, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Emotional regulation, controlling your, your emotional responses and or your behavior, what you physically do, run around like crazy, shake your head, whatever you do, that reflects a dysfunction. Whenever you see dis in front of something as a prefix, it means it ain't working. It's a non-function, a negative function. So a dysfunction in either the psychology or psychological, biological, or the developmental processes of mental functioning. That's your whole process of doing life and thinking, what your brain helps your mind and everything to do. All right, so next. And it's usually associated with significant distress or disability. Means you don't feel too good about it, and maybe you're not too good at doing something with it. And in th this is important in either social, social being relationship, relating to other people, having friends, family, groups, whatever, social, occupational, what you do for a living, whether you're a work or school, your main activities of life that you do to provide for yourself, and other important activities. Okay, so y'all got that, right? <laughs> so the, so what, it, what I want to point out to you is it's saying it's going to show up because something's not working. We want to shorten that. Something's not operating well. And that's what you see. Usually it's if in something important like the areas of life that we do every day. So that being the case, it also says what it's not. So it's if you have an expectable or a culturally approved response to a common stressor or loss, such as death of a loved one, it's not a mental disorder. Get that. If something normally happens in people's lives, 
And in people's lives, people that we know will die. It is part of that we talked about natural consequence of the fall that we will die and others will die that we care about. If that happens, don't you think it's pretty normal, if you want to use that term, to be distressed, to grieve, to be sad, upset? That's not a mental disorder. That's normality in our culture. In fact, in different cultures, it shows different ways. My wife has traveled, for example, to Morocco, uh, Islamic country. Do you know how many days they have for the uh, Ramadan, is it? Or, no, what's the, festi- the memorial service? It's a 40-day thing. So culturally, 40 days of dressing in black, putting on henna makeup, and sitting around is the culturally cultural norm. For, that, for losing a loved one. You did that here, you would get fired. <laughs> you would be looked at strangely. But remember, cultural norms do have a part in this. Okay? So there's my, my favorite one that's in the book here of culturally accepted things, and I'm sure you've all expect, experienced this if you've been a student. How many of you have been students? Okay. You ever experience brain fag? It's in there. It's described as an occurrence when you're overstimulated with things to have to learn and you get into this foggy experience of reality and can't keep up with it. But it, I see heads shaking. Look at that. Isn't that a, now, that's not a mental disorder. That's a cultural phenomenon that happens to some people in our society. In our systems. Okay, so mental disorders have limits. One last thing. This is a long statement. I'm, I'll shorten it if you can read it, but it basically is saying if a person is having difficulty with a social system, church, uh, political or otherwise, and they have disagreements, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's a mental disorder. Because sometimes people just have disagreements. They have different ways of looking at things. If it comes from other dysfunctional things that we talked about earlier, maybe it's a mental disorder. Okay, so we can't accuse all the people who rant on Facebook that we disagree with of having mental disorders. Forget that. You can't use that term anymore. Okay? You can say they're crazy. That's not in DSM. So I, I you know, you said that. So I think you're crazy. Okay. Just don't use mental disorder. Okay. All right. So here we go. Now, having said that, that's not really easy to say this question has to be answered. Whoops, I lost it. There's a question there. When do I need to know that I need help from a professional? How do I make that decision? Right? Is that a good question that you would probably want to know? Okay. Well, let's take some real-life examples and kind of look at how, what might be ways to figure that out. Not everybody who has a life issue should always be going to a mental health professional or a counselor. I'm not saying it, it, you can't consult with one. I'm just saying not everybody necessarily is it needed or appropriate. So let's look at maybe some ways to d- determine when is it needed. 
Okay. 16-year-old teenagers, if there are any 16-year-old teenagers in here, I apologize, this is not aimed at any person. No dogs were killed in this, move, this film, but, you know, I disavow any knowledge of anybody personally who, who fits this category, okay? So, let's, let's take these circumstances. We have a 16-year-old teenager, female, lives with her biological parents, uh, prom's coming up, and she wants to lose some weight before the prom next weekend. Seem realistic? Ladies who are prom experienced, maybe that could happen. I personally didn't lose weight for my tuxedo, but that's okay. Uh, so is that like a real life thing, maybe? All right. What? I'll add some things, and then I want you to, to let me know what you think when I find my place. All right, let's, let's take one, this, this information, and here's some more facts. Number one, this young lady starts eating salads and no-between-meal snacks beginning during the week prior to the prom. That's fact. Number two, this young lady talks about wanting to fit into her new dress for the big night. Fact. Number three, she gets tearful when she does not feel she's going to meet her goal. Upset. Fact. Otherwise, she's pretty much continuing her usual life routines. All right. Given that information, is that something that we would say, oh, we definitely need to get a counselor involved, we definitely need to get a psychologist involved, you think? No, I don't think so either. And, you know, problems happen, weight losses happen, desires to, to lose weight happen. I get that. Let me add a different 16-year-old phenomenon. What if this 16-year-old for several months in succession has been avoiding eating with her family at normal mealtimes meal and maybe picks at her food when she does eat with family? Fact. Number two, what if she's been losing a lot of weight already, pounds are coming off, and she looks thinner, but she doesn't see it in herself and says, I still have to try harder to lose more. Remember I said several months. Three, she almost always said she doesn't feel hungry when you ask her. Number four, she may even leave the table early with a mostly full plate left behind and frequently seen going to the bathroom from that place for more than a quick visit. Fact. Five, usually she's a healthy eater, but now she takes this to an extreme. Everything that's out there to be eaten is run through this screening process, if you will. And lastly, spends a large amount of time, several, hour, several hours a day, working out and exercising when she usually only exercised a few times a week before. What do you think about that scenario? Is there anything to be followed up or concerned about? What? Why? Give me some of the things that you heard that made, made, that made you think, mm, I think maybe. Excuse me? Well, 
Okay. So her view of herself as not being thin when everybody else sees her thin, that's a, that's a signal of something that's, not, that's off. What else? How long is this going on? Months. We're not talking about the week before prom. We're saying months. That's a long period of time to experience these kinds of things. Okay, what else? What else in there waves a red flag for you? Say? I didn't hear. Not eating. Not eating and bulimic. Yeah, bulimic starts to come into your mind. Bulimia and anorexia are the, some of those things that have now entered our culture big time. But I'm not sure everybody knows what, what they really mean, but they are serious eating disorders, and I'm not going to talk about all the details, but they are, it is important to know that some of these things are suggestive of that. Of su- potential, potentially. I'm not going to diagnose based on these things. So, what you see here is same set of circumstances, same age, same basic background, but we've got more stuff that we're hearing that leads us to think more is going on than just the routine. All right, we picked on 16-year-olds. Let's go up. Let's go up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 40, whoop, 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 back, 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 back. 45-year-old male, Uh uh-oh, guys, look out, lives with his first wife, and I don't mean that to mean like he had a second when he went back to his first. It is his first wife, and he's never remarried. He's still with the same person he married with whom he has two children, okay? Work has been stressful with increased demands from his boss and some known layoffs in the company, okay? And... His annual performance appraisal and his contract renewal are occurring in one week. Okay? Got that scenario? Could that be real life? Hope so. I think it is. What if, what if you saw that for several months before this, he's been talking about and worrying over this appraisal that's coming up? Afraid he's going to lose his job. Several months. Okay? What if you heard he was on edge and is frequently angered by small things? Child spills milk, he erupts. Maybe in swats before brain kicks in. And that's not like him. He responds, responds with shouting in a loud voice when his wife makes a simple request. Okay? He gets into quick, severe, physical punishment with anger with his kids, and this is not like him before. He's spending more time alone and quiet than is usual for him. He wants to sleep all the time, but waking up earlier and and more easily than he did before. He wants to sleep, tries to sleep, wakes up in the morning early, I'm awake and thinking about the appraisal. Okay. What do you think? Does that sound like something that needs attention? More than just routine, let's talk about it with our family. 
kind of thing. Not that you shouldn't. I'm not saying that. But beyond that, why? What, what are the keys for this one? Social dysfunction. It's, messed, it's messing with his family, his relationships with his kids. Uh, we didn't say anything about my, my guess that, that he's probably pretty irritable at work if he's worrying all the time. All right. What else? Anything else? How long has this been happening? Months is plural. So it's going on for a significant amount of time. That being said, the, the events are affecting things in the family. They're affecting his social life, probably affecting his work. It's probably pretty important to see to help, fig, help him figure to get some help with this. All right, the flip side. What if it's, he just vents his frustration to his wife when he comes home during this week before the appraisal? Ah, I, I can't wait for this to be over. And, and he, and he, you know, I, I just want to get past that day. What if he talks about worrying and not sleeping as well as usual some? This is just during a week prior to it. He's a little less patient with the kids, but he apologizes easily when he gets worked up. He wants to get past this evaluation and get back to his normal routine and believes that that will happen. That different? Why? Why is it different? Stress is still there, but the level of it is different, apparently. Time frame, short focused on one event that's coming up, which will be in chronology over in a while, able to inhibit or catch himself, not just out of, out of raging and frustration and venting. Using venting is not necessarily a bad thing to talk to somebody who you care about and who cares about you about frustrations and stuff. So that wouldn't be necessarily a recommendation of mine that he would need mental health follow-up. Okay, one more example. This one's the, this one's the best of all. The Herndons. <laughs> My wife gave me, suggested this one, so I should put it in here to talk about when things need attention or not. My wife, Jan, sitting right there, is neat and organized. She likes order. I like everything in its place. See her desk? There you go. That's her. The only problem is we got another person in this house. Whoop, don't go fast. There's my desk. <laughs> Taken today. I tend to be cluttered, to say it nicely. I chose that word for me, <laughs> especially in my workplace. And my comment would, she walks by and goes like this when she goes past my desk. It's my space, but she, she doesn't say anything us usually, gets by it. But I, I know it looks bad, but I know where my stuff is. I know what's under that third pile on the right two steps up the shelf. Don't mess with my stuff. Now, 
All that being said, if we had extremes of each of us, which, by the way, I do not claim a mental health diagnosis for this. I do not claim one for my wife for this. Be it duly noted in the record. But we have this term that's floating out there called obsessive-compulsive. Okay? And what most people think about that is it's somebody who has to have a ritual and a routine happen every time they do something. And it has to be so. In other, it, at, at its extremes, it can be that before a person leaves the room, he washes his hands five times, always five times, and goes over to the doorknob, and if he gets interrupted on the way over, he's got to go back and wash five times. Now, that could interfere with your life a little. I'm just saying. I mean, if you have things that become these obsessions that you focus on and you cannot find ways to get around them, it's going to make your relationship with other people mm, questionable sometimes. So this is not my wife, but if it were that extreme, we might be looking for professional help for that. Not that I know anybody who does that, but okay. Uh, but for me, suppose everything that came in the mail, I kept. Every package that came, I opened it and put it, put it down. Everything that somebody gave me, I kept. And there was stuff piling up everywhere around so that it was getting in the way of people moving around, getting in the way of being able to uh, keep track of anything. Some people might call that hoarding. Remember, I am not a hoarder. I do keep things in funny ways. <laughs> not the same as people who are orderly might. But if that was the case, and you may have known people who, who have over, gone over the top. You go in their house and you go like, how do I even get in here and they can't tell you why they kept anything it's just I might need it it's there I just keep it and so it becomes an issue that would be a severity of things that would be needing attention so you kind of get the idea here between the two what might need attention and what might not I've kind of put it into another slide Here's the factors to consider, I think. I'll just shorten them. First of all, how intense are the symptoms? How, what, how big are the things that we're seeing? How serious are they? Are they? How are the consequences of what's going on causing real problems in life? As we were talking about, remember the DSM says dysfunction in life situations. That's what we're talking about. How bad is what's going on affecting people, work, school, regular activity? <laughs> How long have they gone on? So the time frame is important. How often do they happen? That's important to know. Is it different from the normal everyday person st stuff? Their normal everyday. So, you know, my normal is not the same as Dustin's normal. I don't know what his is, but I'm, 
I won't give him a diagnosis yet. Um, <laughs> but if, my, if in my normal I have a change, something's different than it was, that's noteworthy. That's something to pay attention to. And lastly, are there any dangerous, risky, or harmful things going on that you see happening? Um, some examples might be you're seeing cutting. Okay. Regardless of what, whether you know the reason or not, are you seeing something like that happen? Are you seeing um, the individual taking chances with things that would be maybe they could get hurt? Doing risky activities, spe speeding down the road in your neighborhood when kids are out. Something that's harmful. They do things that most people say, I don't know, I don't think I'm going to. Ah, it's all right, I'll do it, and it's okay. So these are the things that would make a difference. Now, notice there's not a black and white line. This needs attention, this does not. These are the things we look at when we're considering do we need more help from a professional person than we can get in our normal daily routine and realm of activities. So that's kind of the when do you need help. Next week, by the way, just to give you, I'm not going to leave you hanging, we're going to talk about so how do you get that help? Who gives that help? How do you find those people that give help? We're going to talk about next week. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a tease here, putting that off, so you have to come back next week to get the answer. Um, so we're going to do that. But does this make sense? You all getting it? Okay. Now, i gotta, I got to give you, those of you who were here last week, I, 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 I pulled a, a, a trick on you by asking you to say something, but I'm going to say something to compliment you. You guys wrote down some really great questions. I'm not kidding. Right, Brianna? They, you guys wrote some good stuff. And I want to I begin addressing some of those questions. You know, our time is short, but I want to introduce my associate here, Brianna Pimpiano. Brianna <laughs> is a Heart of the Father member. If you guys, so you will have seen her around. She's also a licensed pastor. She has her master's degree in marriage and family therapy and is working on her licensure, uh, permanent licensure, after having finished the academic part of that. So I've asked her to jump in here with some of these questions with us, so we're going to address some of them as we go. So let's see if this, will this work? Well, okay. What do I have to do? Anything? I'll let you figure that one out. <laughs> Can you get it? Hey, I didn't say I was an expert in technology. I did the limbo rock trip just a minute ago with this wire coming down my neck. Only people who are old enough to know what the limbo is will get that, but that's okay. I'm not even worried about that. I often have this cultural disarray dis with my students. <laughs> I wasn't even born when President Kennedy was shot. Oh, yeah, okay. Never mind. All right, so we're going to put some of these questions on. Is it working? Yes. Test it. Yes, it's on. Oh, she's here. All right, so let's put some of your questions 
These are the real questions, and let's see. We're going to try to answer some tonight, or at least address them, and we'll answer some more next week as well. Okay, here we go. There are three categories that I have. One is related, there are questions that we put set up related to spirituality with mental health, some related to understanding depression and anxiety, and the practical suggestions we'll get to next week. So let's, let's get on here. All right, related to spirituality, number one. Is anxiety a sin? Is anxiety a sin? What do you think? Um, I feel like every question has like a, well, yes, but no, there's a balance to every question. And so to what extreme is this anxiety? Is it separating you from God? Is it hurting your relationship with God? Um, so it can be. It cannot be. It depends on how much of an impact it has on you and if it's affecting your relationship with God. So it relates to the there's a spiritual part of every mental health issue. Yes. Whether it in, whether it gets involved with your relationship with God or not, and you take action that extends that separation, is really because because it, it, I think people are going from the Philippians verse that says, uh, "Be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving present your petitions, and the peace of God will." Well, some people think if I don't have peace of God, then I must be sinning. Well, I don't, I don't believe that. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't believe that. I mean, yes, it doesn't mean we can't get God's peace. But I don't think it means when we have it, anxiety, that we, we gave up rights to peace or we're, su we're in a problem situation, that we've done something wrong to get that. Because remember, we're in a fallen world. There's real stuff that worries me in the world. Is there real stuff that worries you in the world? I hope so. I hope so. The Democrats, no, I'm going to say So let's move on. <laughs> Oops. All right, let's see another one. Ah, I have a good, I'll take this one. If a person goes through deliverance, a ministry of deliverance where one is prayed over intercessorily for release from bondage, why doesn't deliverance remove the depression, anxiety, or mental health issue? Isn't that a lack of faith? I say no. I say no. I'm going to relate to you a very significant experience that happened with me. Now, I'm a counselor, psychologist. My belief is I've been given certain gifts that that's my ministry, but I've been given gifts to use to help people through the counseling process. Not everybody has that gift, but in some places, in some churches, there are deliverance ministries. Have you ever been to a church where there was a deliverance ministry or a healing ministry? Okay. I, have, I was in a church where there was a deliverance ministry and there was a counseling center. Ain't that strange. Because sometimes those people don't get along because they believe that it's either one or the other. Either you're in bondage and you need to have released or you need counseling. That's the only way. A friend of mine who was the pastor over deliverance ministry called me up on the phone said, Cliff, I want to tell you, uh, we prayed for Susie the other night at our deliverance ministry meeting. And we prayed for her to be delivered of, of her, uh, her anxiety issues. 
But I think she needs to walk out her deliverance through counseling. I never thought of that. I never thought of it that way. Who is he or who am I to tell God how he might choose to heal this lady? Or whose gift is going to do it? I don't care, and I believe clearly that God can take it away and prayer can do it. But I also know that sometimes it doesn't happen that way. I don't understand why not, that it doesn't always happen that way. And if it doesn't, does that mean that prayer was worthless or that God's still not operating? I think he uses other people's gifts in addition to the prayer to make those things happen. So, my answer is nay. I don't think it says anything about necessarily. It can be issues that are going on faith-wise, but I don't think it has to be. I think we need to be wise and discerning about that and help people in any ways that God has gifted people to help that claim his partaking of those gifts in us. All right, let's see. We've got another one here, I think. Whoop, this thing goes too fast. Come back. Oh, there you go. This is yours. So if you can't see it, it says, can anxiety be a generational curse that can be passed down through families, or is it more of a behavioral learned thing? I would say both. However, I'm going to just for this topic tonight, I'm going to emphasize the second one because typically, I mean, I would say always pray over situations. I feel like everything has a spiritual side, but then also a psychological side. So even though I'm probably going to lean more towards the learned, I'm going to say still pray for it. Don't just, like, rule that out. Like, definitely pray for it. Um, but things tend, when we're in um, our family, we grow up in that culture that our family has set, we don't know um, anything else. And so those are the behaviors and the things that we learn. Um, and they may not be healthy. They may be unhealthy. But to, but to that person, that's normal. And so just without knowing it, there can be things that are passed down through that environment that um, that person sees as normal, but maybe um, they could be part of that generational curse, if you want to put that term on it, um, or you can put on the, the learned behavior term. And so I think that the both sides of the equation do need to be addressed um, because there's things that we can rewire our brains for to learn a more healthier way of um, doing something, of uh, reacting to certain stimuli or doing things like that. So I would lean more towards it's probably learned, but I would also say definitely pray for it. Do not rule that out at all. I would add one thing. If we look at the language that's used in the scriptures that are often related to this, they're talking about the sins passed on to the generations or not passed on to the generations. This is what that's where people, I think, get the... the you look up, don't, don't try to find generational curse in the New Testament or Old Testament because the words aren't there like that. It's an it's a t- interpretation of some of the scriptures in, in there. And one of the things I think a generational curse, when they use the word curse, they're talking about consequences. So are there generational consequences to behavior that you observe, whether it's dysfunctional behavior? Are there behavioral consequences to being born into a family of, uh, which has substance abuse. In fact, there are some biological connections, too, that we've been able to identify related to 
uh, things that are passed on. In fact, there are a lot of biological connections that we're beginning to understand to some degree. Does that mean there's no spiritual part? I ain't saying that. I ain't saying that. Because, as I've mentioned last week, Satan can use the things that are there to accomplish his deceitful ways to try and get at us just as easy as he can create a demon of something to come after you personally on that. Mm-hmm. It's a fact. Well, in my, my world, it's a fact. <laughs> so, does that, does that help give a little... I mean, you don't have to agree with it. I'm just saying, think about that um, as we go. If you have questions or comments, please raise your hand. I don't know who wrote it, and I'm not going to point them out either. So, okay, well, let's go on. we got some more spirituality ones. What should I say as a Christian to those who dismiss faith as part of the solution for anxiety, depression, and other mental health challenges? What should, what should I say? Did you, did you have one, Sam? What should you say? I don't think that's a good question. It is a good question. It is a good question. If you believe for you and your faith that the spiritual part of your Christianity is a part of your life that is important to understand the whole of you, the things that, you, that are not working well sometimes and things that are working well, if that's what you believe, then I think you can't force anybody else to believe that. You can claim your own belief. It's kind of like, um, I can tell you what, what works for me and what I believe about how God may work in different situations on my behalf. It may not be the way he exactly works with you, but I can tell you what happened with me. So I, I don't... I don't know that convincing anybody that God is at work is going to be a very useful thing to try to, to do because I think we just say, it's how it works in my world. <laughs> it's how it works in my world. By the way, sidebar, in the, in the secular world of counseling, guess what's becoming a very important question to find out from people during any kind of intake evaluation? Do you have a spiritual belief system? I mean, atheist counselors are having to ask that question. Why? Because they know now it's important. Spirituality and faith are important things in people's lives that are part of their functioning and their ability to try and cope with life issues. It's so. And even those people who don't believe in them know there's something out there. That's doing it. So, yeah. Right. Affirm my 
the most dangerous thing. It's putting respect for his nature in life and life's full of suffering and all its harm. Mm -hmm. Then What do I tell what I tell people who don't? Yeah. Then to a believer, I mean for me, I would say, well, yeah, your solution is a different solution because you because the Bible says that he believes in full truth and it's truthfulness is truth, right? And so um, for those who are believers, their number one or their foundation point of contact yeah. to finding freedom is an, is a is a perspective that's based in faith, which is I don't get freedom And we may need to remind fellow believers of those things, yeah. who they are in Christ, exactly. okay, as a part of the process. Yeah, I used to ask my clients when I worked in a secular setting, what is it that gets you through life's tough stuff? And God taught me something because he said, I, I was thinking, how am I going to make my Christianity be a part of this place that's not Christian? And, he, and, and so I just started asking that question. He sent people to me that said, it's the Lord, it's my church, it's my faith, it's the word of God that guides me, it's my community of faith. And I'm like, okay, I get it. So if they tell me what, and I agree with them, I can go farther with that to support them. And that's a key ingredient in terms of professional counseling. You can't give somebody that something they don't have but you can take what they have and help them with it if they join you with it. It's kind of like uh, an old expression I heard that uh, when, we, when we witness to people, it's, we're, it's like one beggar telling another beggar, beggar where I found bread. I'm not saying you're going to find it in the same exact spot. I'm just telling you. This is where it is for me. So those are the kind of things I think that are Significant there. You, you want to add? Um, yeah, I've also noticed, like, even when they don't come back and say, oh, it's my faith, that as I was studying the different theories, a lot of the ones that really, like, honestly, I think, well, let me shorten this. Um, a lot of the ones that really, like, seem successful, like, I was like, oh, that's right there in the Bible. Yeah. Like, so you can actually use all those biblical principles in, in helping somebody, and it comes straight from the Bible, but we're not actually saying, like, oh, that's my faith. But they've been scientifically proven in all of these studies. And I'm like, well, of course they were proven. They're in the Bible. But, you know, so it's <laughs> we like we, um, yeah, so some of the things like set your minds on things above, on good things, like that's something called CBT, you know. So, like, it's, it's there either way. But I definitely find that it's more, much more easier when you can come outright and say and talk about the faith aspect of it. So. You might want to turn around so they can hear you better. That's really, really, really important to me. But one of my biggest challenge that I find is, um, as believers, is there is a big conflict on what we think is normal Christianity. Mm -hmm. And so for me, um, I think right now, um, and I don't know what anyone else thinks, but you, you, sh you, you have absolutely 
the ability to be completely peaceful, completely happy, completely full of joy, and that's not because your day's going well. You could be having the worst day in the room, and that can still be your disposition. And so, you know, I feel like a really important thing that I've just kind of realized is a lot of believers have a different perspective of what normal is and what, where, where I'm headed. So you may say, you know, um, I just want to be only depressed for three hours today instead of four, and you think that that's, that's the goal. That's it. You've reached the goal. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? But, like, some people are like, I, my, I'm believing for I'm never going to be depressed again, you know? And so it's kind of like we have different beliefs about what is possible. But I, you bring that belief into your life action. And that's the point yeah. that we're saying is that people have to bring their belief systems into their actions. And some are going to do some things and others will watch what you do mm. and, and say, oh, why does that person do that? And you may get a chance to say yeah. yes or no yeah. about that. So uh, what I'm saying is that, yeah. that will impact we're getting later, what you can we? say. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Impacts what you I can do. say to someone. Sorry to cut you, no, cut you short. I think there's like one more. Oh, yeah. How can Christians overcome the stigma and impressions of mental illness? I think part of it is understanding them better and being able to talk about and kind of connect their own experiences to other people's experiences who are believers as well. I mean, I think if we can start to talk about, you know, how do I combat, combat depression? How do I deal with anxiety? How do how do I pray about that? How do I, what, what works for me? What are strategies that come out of knowledge base, science, social sciences to help me? What, can, I, can I share those? Can I be able to? And have relationships in which I can. So beginning it is just, the understanding is a part of the beginning. And that's why this is, I've been grateful to have this time for us to have this time for us. For this discussion so that that can happen all right let's see if there's one more hello oh gosh okay please discuss verbal blessing and cursing doesn't the open doors from angels or demons doesn't this open doors or angels or demons to work as mentioned in proverbs 18:21, which if you want to look it up you can i have it written here Proverbs says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. Okay? Um, and there are other things about what we say has meaning. Um, do, does that, does we, us speaking about life issues give Satan information that he can use that he didn't have before against us? That's the question I think we're talking about. And, and I, if that's so, then why did, why did Jesus say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That wasn't his final word, but he was expressing it out loud. He was already under pretty serious attack by Satan at that point. And what about Paul who talked about his thorn of the flesh? He spoke it out loud. Does that mean the same thing? Oh, Paul, you got that thorn of the flesh. I'm going to go after that. No. It doesn't give him any more words. We're not talking about expressing it and saying, here, take it. This is stuff that's there. So I don't personally believe that our blessing and cursing means we provoke a curse on us by saying it if we speak about it. 
I don't think that's the same thing. I don't think that's the same thing. So some people used to say, I can't talk about stuff out loud. Because if I do, then I'm giving room to come in. Hire? Yeah. Just from, from life experience, I lost my father to, to mental illness. And because of the stigma um, in the church world at the time, I was, I was little. Um, my, he's passed away. Um, he basically, um, you know, the, the government, it, it was just a situation where the, the state of Michigan told my mom, take your kids and leave or we're going to take your kids for you. Hmm. That, that type of situation. I don't get into all the details. But we never saw him ever again. But here's the thing. Because... Uh, the stigma of mental illness was back in the 70s and 80s was such a voodoo word. Um, we lost them. And I think we've lost a lot of good men and a lot of good people because the church did not understand mm -hmm. mental illness. He was taking, you know, um, they call them, we call them nerve pills, some kind of pills that he had to take. Mm -hmm. He would be fine. But the minute he wouldn't take them and because of, of the stigma, he quit taking them. Um, because he didn't want to be called by his peers, crazy man, and, and that mm -hmm. type of thing, mm -hmm. you know. So that kind of stuff happened. But I, I, I won't take up all the time, but just, I just wanted to say, just from, from my personal experience and, and things I've lived through that, you know, that, that there is a stigma, and I, I believe there still is a stigma. I mean, we're having pastors committing suicide yep. and so on and so forth. And to the scripture here, this is why it happens, is because we do not give men and we do not give women the room to express this or to say why have you forsaken me and if we say that it's a it's a negative it's like a anti word of faith so god hates oh we can't say that because now the lord uh, we don't have enough faith we've just threw our faith out the window um, but if we would be real and realistic and really can you know speak from our heart to god right or just express it man that's like uh letting the the steam off of a, you know, letting really the pressure fast, yeah. off of a, of a cooker or something. So that's all I wanted okay. to, to share. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Um, we probably need to bring things to a close at this point. I, I could keep going on, and we will go on next week and address more questions and actually talk about a few more things. Um, if you want to ask anything for just, I'll take a, we'll take a couple of questions from you guys now, if there's something that this has raised a question that you didn't have a chance to write down or ask, uh, if there's anything like that you would like to. I just want to add one more thing oh, yeah. um, to this. I always found it super encouraging in the Psalms. David would go on these like rants when he was in like deep, difficult situations. But if you notice at the end of every single Psalm, it ends with, but I know that my God is capable and so when we express those things and we begin to talk about the things instead of keeping it in, a, in the dark, then that brings, that sheds the light on it and then we're able to get that hope. And so I think when people are so afraid because of the stigma and we're not like uh, speaking up because they're like, oh no, what are people going to think? It kind of really kind of pushes them back down into that darkness instead of being comfortable enough to talk about it and put that light on it and say, this is what I'm going through and it's rough, but I know that my God is capable. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the power comes in. Yep, got got some new people.
It's a sickness, and a lot of people don't under, it's, you know, when somebody comes down with cancer, we see it, we know what it is, there's treatments for it, and we want to pray for it, and we want to have healing. Um, mental illness, if you can compare it and just have an understanding, it's like cancer. It is a sickness. It is, it's, it's something that it affects the brain. It is physically affects the brain. You know, if you have cancer, you go for treatment. Well, if you have a mental illness, you go for treatment. There's medicine for the treatment, um, just as counseling is for the treatment. Yeah. There's different ways of doing it, and having that understanding of being able to say, you know, it's no different than, you know, my mental illness is no different than somebody having cancer. You know, um, when somebody has cancer, you have such a big support, and you have rallies and you you know have so many fundraisers and everything else you know and then you hear of the mental illness and just like well we can't see that but you can see it you know it, it's 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 let real me add, and let me just add something to to, to bring that to a, a another point mental illness has many causal factors and many treatment possibilities related to it so you know sometimes I don't think we should rule out knowledge that God has given men, and I said this last week, to, that, that is shown to have some effectiveness if done well and used well. So we need to be able to try to help people find what's going to work for them in addition to continuing the spiritual prayer support and collegial support or companionship in the process when people are going through it. So... One more. How do you help someone who you feel shows signs of mental illness and they're in denial? Um, how do you help them in set boundaries if they're not willing to get help or to address the issues? Um, we're probably going to need to talk more about that in more detail. I want to give some attention to that uh, next week. 